0: I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, please, to Acts 13, Acts chapter 13, and I'm going to read uh, from the first 12 verses of the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 13. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. And when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him, and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. And again, God will bless that reading of his precious word to us this afternoon. We mentioned yesterday that there's this thing called missiology, which is the, the doctrine of missions. And uh, if you go to a seminary and you have an interest in missions, one of the courses you'll do will be a missiology course. And then we heard about George Verwa's book last night called Messiology, that basically uh, says that man tends to mess things up anyway, but God works despite that. And isn't it good that God works despite men messing things up? And uh, we can all testify to that, right? Anybody ever messed things up and God still worked even despite us? I think we can all identify with that. But we want to look uh, this evening at this passage because despite men's ideas, missiology, and men's failures, messiology, God's Word and the principles in God's Word are really clear, okay? Men mess it up, but it didn't mean that God isn't clear. And we want to look at some great principles about missionary work from this amazing chapter. And um, of course, we in the book of Acts, and we recognize that the whole key to Acts is Acts 1-8, that there were to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And up to now, in the book, uh, first seven chapters were really in Jerusalem, and in a sense, nobody really wanted to leave Jerusalem. All the apostles were there, and who wouldn't want to hang around with those guys, right? At least learn from them what what they'd heard from the Lord, right? You'd want to kind of hang around there. And then it was where the Lord had died, and so a place of special significance, even to this day, like going to Jerusalem was an amazing experience for me, right? Even now, uh, when I was there, I felt like I belonged. I felt at home there. I thought, I could stay here. I liked it, right? There's something, why would anybody want to leave there? and yet they're supposed to go to Samaria. Who would want to go to Samaria? They're those Samaritans that we've got this kind of problem with anyway. We don't like those guys. So God brings persecution in chapter 8 to move them because they weren't moving themselves, right? So there's this this uh, everybody's kicked out of the city except the apostles and they go everywhere preaching the word 8 through 12 uh, we're in samaria but we're getting ready for the uttermost parts of the earth because in 8 through 12 some significant events are going to happen chapter 9 saul of tarsus is going to get saved he's going to be the great apostle to the gentiles so he's paving the way and then in chapter 10, Peter goes to Cornelius' household. Major breakthrough. A Jew sitting down and eating with a Gentile, right? These are dogs. We don't do business with them. He had to have a vision. He had to have all kinds of special uh, references from God to kind of get him out of his comfort zone to go reach these these dogs. And so there's a lot of preparation. But then you come to chapter 13, And chapter 13, I think, is a really key chapter because it's really the first deliberate, organized, from a church, mission focus. And what happens is that um, the church at Antioch are together. Now, I want to kind of look at this church. It's one of of my favorite churches. I love this church because I, I think every time I look at this church, I think this is what every assembly ought to be like, right, when I look at Antioch. There's so much I see here that I really appreciate. First of all, you notice, and we're going to look at some principles that actually go against missiology. Now, I'm not here to knock missiology, but I want to be accurate to the Word of God. So the first thing you notice is that in this church in Antioch, there are five gifted men who minister the Word of God. There were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. Now, in our assemblies, we reject a one man ministry, but one of the greatest mistakes we ever made was allow the pendulum to swing so far to the other extreme that we basically have an any man ministry. Now, listen, uh, every believer is a priest, but not every believer is gifted to edify the church. We know that. We've sat through messages, 45 minutes, that seemed like a life sentence, right? Been there, done that, right? Got the t- You know that, right? And the reason is because we're unbiblical. We that pride ourselves in being so scriptural are unbiblical when we embrace an any-man ministry. This had a plural gifted ministry, five prophets and teachers. That is a scriptural New Testament assembly, five gifted brothers sharing the ministry. You knew whatever day you went to the assembly, you were going to be edified because every brother that took the platform was gifted, right? Wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't that be good? I think we'd all appreciate that, wouldn't we? That's scriptural. And the interesting thing is that even though they're in Antioch, not one of the preachers is from there. See, one of the things in missions is this idea of the indigenous work, right? You've got to have indigenous missions. Well, all these guys are foreigners, right? Just notice with me, every one of them. Uh, Barnabas, we, we know he's from Cyprus, Simeon was called Niger, he's a, an African, a black man. Lucius from Cyrene, Manian, which had been brought up with Herod and the Tetrarch, and then Saul. Uh, again, not one of them is a native of Antioch. Wow, that kind of spoils the whole missiology thing, doesn't it? Because in the church, national distinctions go out of the window, Right? There's no Jew or Gentile or anything. We're all one in Christ. Isn't that what, what the church is? Every tribe, tongue, people and nation. And the more our world becomes multicultural, in a sense, the more scriptural our churches become. Unless we insist on keeping our national distinctions in churches. God doesn't do that, right? This church, its all the teachers are foreigners. But they're all gifted, And they're all believers, and they're all saints, and they're able to edify. And they do. But it's also a church that's given, it tells in verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Oh, wow. We know a lot about feasting, right? But we don't know a lot about fasting. Or if we do, it's intermittent fasting because we want to lose a few pounds. Right? It's because we're concerned about our physical condition instead of fasting because we're concerned about the spiritual condition of the church of the Lord Jesus. They ministered to the Lord. Now this, so, you know, prayer and fasting go together, and they're praying, but the praying has, the word that's used here has a kind of a worship aspect to it. So they're they're there together, worshiping God in prayer, and they're fasting. And I want to just put a suggestion in your mind. What is it all about? Why are they doing this? I wonder, just wonder, I may be wrong, but I wonder if they're praying about the Great Commission. We've been redeemed so graciously by our Savior. Others need to hear this. How do we fulfill this commission? And they're praying, they're fasting, they're seeking the face of God. How do, how do we reach our world with the Gospel? Wouldn't it be nice if we had some prayer meetings like that? By the way, April 27th to May the 1st, right here in this building, North American Week of Prayer. It's a great school of prayer. If you feel weak in your prayer life, come. The Lord will really meet you here and help you, right? I want to encourage you to be there for that week. But maybe if our churches had more of this intense praying and, yes, even fasting, we'd be more in a condition to be able to hear clearly from God. Because in this spiritual condition of praying and fasting... Notice what it says. It says, the Holy Ghost said. God, the Holy Spirit, spoke clearly about the next step in world evangelization. And the, the message was this. Separate Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them. Now, how did the Holy Spirit do that? Maybe through one of the other prophets. I don't know, but clearly the Holy Spirit spoke and they heard because they were they were tuned in. Right, they're they're fasting, they're praying, they're in a wonderful spiritual condition to hear from God, and they hear the Spirit of God speaks. And notice, isn't it wonderful how the whole Godhead Godhead is involved in missions? God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. The Lord Jesus came to redeem lost humanity at the cross, and the Spirit of God is moving in the hearts of men to get them to go and take this message out. Isn't it wonderful that God's involved in this from start to finish? And so they, they hear the voice of the Spirit of God. And of course, uh, notice who is going to be sent, Barnabas and Saul. Probably in most assemblies... If if you had a Barnabas and Saul in fellowship, they would be the last people you would want to go to the mission field. Right? Because Barnabas is that encouraging brother, isn't he? I mean, he's nicknamed the encourager. That's what he is. He's probably the most encouraging man in the whole assembly. Right? You send him. Okay? It was, I don't want second best. I want best. Okay? And then Saul. Like, who would want to see Saul... Leave. I mean, this guy knows the Old Testament like the back of his hand. I mean, uh, I mean, he's he's met the Lord uh, on the Damascus Road. I mean, it, he's got all kinds of insights into the mysteries of God. We don't want to lose this guy, right? I can think of some people we'd love to send. You know, we all have those, right? Oh, Lord, please send this guy. He's so irritated. It would be wonderful to send him. to... No, no, no. We want the best. Isn't that interesting? The best men available, the Spirit of God says, "Give me that wow, that's challenging, isn't it? How would we feel as an assembly boobot? How would you feel if some of your key prospects got got spoken to by the Spirit of God this weekend and and the Lord sent them out would you Would you be lamenting or rejoicing? That's a good question to ask, isn't it? Because these guys. Uh, uh, it says, verse 3, when they had fasted and prayed, laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they keep praying and fasting. In other words, uh, you don't just pray and fast for the direction, but now once the direction is given, they're going to need prayer and fasting even more because they're going out into hostile territory. We need to pray for these guys. We really need to pray for these men because they're going to regions beyond. And so they go on this first missionary journey. And notice it says... um, uh, separate me, brothers and soul, for the work whereunto I have called them. I want you to notice something: that they're called to a work by the Spirit of God, not called to a specific geographic location, but to a work. Because by the time it's done, they're going to be all over the map, aren't they? Geographically, Barnabas and Saul—they're going to be visiting all kinds of places with the gospel. And we have to say that if 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 our calling had to been directly to the Philippines, then our whole life service would have been a failure. And you heard our story last night, right? The providence of God—we've been all over the map over the years, right? Because God has called us to a work. And it's important to see that the Spirit of God called him to a work. And again, the Spirit of God making his will clear. And, and so it says, they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. And, and when the Spirit of God sends somebody, the church didn't stand in their way. Uh, Darby's translation says that they released them. In other words, who are we to argue with what the Spirit of God is doing? Right, We're not going to stand in their way. They just allowed them to go. They recognized this was a work of the Spirit of God, and they went to Seleucia, and from there they went to Cyprus. Now, here's an interesting thing. They go to Cyprus. Now, why Cyprus? Well, Barnabas was from Cyprus. Acts 4 would tell you that. He was a Levite from the country of Cyprus. And so they went to Barnabas' home. Country. And part of the reason was, and they went to the synagogues in Cyprus, who would have known Barnabas the Levite, right? And it was, they exploited existing contacts in the gospel to begin with. That's a good place to begin, isn't it? you got existing contacts, you start start there. Isn't that what happened in Cornelius' household? What did Cornelius do? Not only... Did Peter come, but he sent and invited everybody he knew to come and hear Peter preach the gospel, right? It's good to exploit the context we already have. And then, of course, they went in the synagogues because Paul always had this strategy of going to the Jew first. Even though he was the apostle to the Gentiles, he always went to the Jew first. And the reason was, they had already two-thirds of the story. Uh, All they needed was, what was that radio guy? Paul, somebody or other, all you need is the rest of the story. Some of the old folks would remember that. Paul Harvey, right? All they needed was the rest of the story, and so they start right there. But I want you to notice what we can learn as a definite principle, and that is, as they went with the gospel, preaching the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews... Uh, they take John Mark with them. He's going to have a significant role in the story, but not for us this evening. They went through the aisle, verse 6, unto Paphos. They found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Now, some, Again, some really important principles here. Principle number one is there's a guy called Sergius Paulus, who is a prudent man, some translations say he's an intelligent man, and he desired to hear the word of God. Now, one of the great lies of the enemy is, nobody's interested. Right? But here, Scripture clearly tells us, in the book of Acts, you've got Cornelius who's a God-fearing man, who's seeking truth, and here you've got this individual who wants to hear the word of God. And if you go involved in evangelism, yeah, you'll get rejection and you'll get some people who don't want to hear, but you'll constantly meet people who will say to you, I have never heard this before, thank you for telling me. I know that sounds shocking, but you meet those people. I'll never forget doing doll-to-doll work with a guy. who was in his 70s, and uh, he he had uh, never done it before, and he wanted somebody to go with him. So I went with him, and the first house we knock on, uh, there's a lady, and she says, the door's open, come on in, I can't get up, because she just had knee surgery, and her knee is in a cast. So we walk in, she's sat on the couch, we start talking to her, and um, tell her why we're there, and, and immediately she says to us, she says, you know, it's amazing, I was saved as a little girl, And I've gotten away from the Lord and I was just sat here thinking about the story of the the 99 sheep and the one that went astray and saying, Lord, where are the shepherds like you that will come and find us? We just knocked on the door, right? My friend is just like, he's kind of, first time he's ever done door-to-door work in his life, first door. He's like blown away. Every door we went to was, it just seemed that day, was divine appointments. People thanking us profusely. I have never ever heard that message before. So what I'm saying is this, that, that the one person who wants you to be convinced that nobody's interested is the liar himself. Okay? He's the one that wants you to think that. Now, the other principle here is this. One, there are people out there that do want to hear the Word of God. And secondly, you can guarantee that there'll be opposition. That there'll be people trying to stop them from hearing the Word of God. Right? So, you can expect opposition. But you can also expect that you'll meet people that are genuinely interested in the Gospel. I mentioned last night when we were in Ireland we uh, the Catholic charismatic had come through the country uh, and people were studying their Bibles and they had lots of questions. And we, we had a lady came to our door. She was a fruit and vegetable salesman. She had a van. She sold out of the back of her van. She knocked on our door and uh, she asked who we were. Uh, we were new in the area, what we were doing. We said, we we're here to share people the gospel of Jesus Christ. She said, oh, do you know the Bible? I have so, so many questions. I'd love to spend time with you. She got saved. Her whole family got saved she came knocking on our door right people are, there are people out there that are genuinely recognize this world has nothing to offer they're bankrupt and they're looking for somebody with answers they really are and and so uh, but then there are those that would try to stop it there are the opponents of the gospel and they're out there they're very real and so there's this man here, uh, and sadly he's a Jew, uh, who ought to know better, uh, Bar-Jesus, uh, Son of Jesus. What a name, huh? He has the name Son of Jesus, but he has no real interest in the Jesus of the New Testament. But that's his name, and he's a sorcerer. He's involved in witchcraft, which no Jew should ever be involved in. They're expressly forbidden to be involved in witchcraft, but he's involved in that. And, the, and why is it that people get involved in, in spiritism, the occult? Well, part of the reason is power. He has clear power. Uh, he's he's considered to be some great man. Uh, people listen to him. He's, he's He's got influence. He's an influence over this man, Sergius Paulus. Uh, and so he, he says, "He uh, verse 8, Elemas the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Now, I want you to notice something very important here. That um, it's one thing to not want the gospel yourself. There, there are eternal consequences for somebody not wanting the gospel themselves. That's bad enough. But to actually stop other people from hearing the word of God is doubly serious. Okay? And so what Paul does, and I want you to notice in what condition he's in when he does it. Notice verse 9 then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost. Okay? Because sometimes we think that if you're filled with the Spirit, you'll be Mr. Nice Guy. Right? He would never offend anybody, never say anything that would, in the slightest way, cause contention. You would just be Mr. Smoothie. Right? Isn't that what our understanding is? Let me ask you, when the Lord Jesus cleansed the temple, was he filled with the Holy Spirit or not? He, he was, right? Just as much as he was in Gethsemane, when he cleansed the temple, he was filled. When he, when he spoke in Matthew 23, woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, was he filled with the Spirit or not? What about John the Baptizer when he called the Pharisees a, a bunch of snakes? Was he filled with the Spirit when he did that? He was filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb, wasn't he? He was, right? So in other words, we've got to have a correct understanding. What does this mean? What we do know is this. If you're going to be involved in missions, you better know something about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Because if you're just doing it in your own strength, you're not going to have any impact, and the powers of darkness are going to mock you and laugh at you. Because you have nothing to offer right that's why the that's why the danger of the day we live in is that we we've so reacted against charismatic error that we've almost become guilty of the opposite error and that is a mechanical christianity that depends on the energy of the flesh and we see so much of it right we need people that are under the total complete control of the Holy Spirit. Because that's the idea of being filled, controlled. Under His control, every moment, every step, under the control of the Spirit of God, totally dependent on Him, conscious of our need of Him, of His help, of His power, of His work this weekend. If the Holy Spirit don't work this weekend, you've just wasted a good Saturday afternoon. I'm, honest, I'm being honest with you. It has to be a work of the Spirit of God. And He's filled with the Spirit. And what does He do? He says... He set his eyes on him, said, Oh, full of all subtlety, verse 10, and mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. Do you think that that would have brought any memories back to Paul? Was there ever a time when he was blind, not seeing the sun for a season? And 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 his blindness in a sense was partly because what was he doing not only up to that point was he rejecting the gospel himself and and he knew the gospel because he even had relatives that were in Christ before him Romans Romans 13 I think 12 would tell you that he's got relatives 13 that are in Christ before him and Stephen's testimony so not only does he not want it himself what is he doing he's stopping others He's going around arresting the preachers, right? Isn't that what Paul did? And so it's an interesting thing that one of the principles in the Word of God, which is so clear, in fact I saw it again this morning, uh, just in my regular readings, that if you reject light, the result is always the same. Darkness. And the greater the light rejected the greater the darkness. Some people are going to be cast into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, what is that? What is that? Outer darkness, it's as far away from the light as you could ever get, right? And whoever gets cast into... I would suggest to you that there are degrees of punishment in hell and those degrees of punishment are connected directly to the amount of light a person has rejected prior to his death. That's why Judas is going to his own place. Nobody had more light than Judas Iscariot, kissed the door of heaven and ended up in hell. Is that amazing? And so what we see is this man is is blinded for a season. Just like the nation of Israel, blindness in part has happened to Israel, right? Why? Because they, what light they had. The scriptures, right? New to us. I'd never read a Bible until I was 20 years of age. It was a brand new book to me, right? I'd never even heard of David and Goliath. That's so much for Catholic education. I remember reading it for the first time thinking, wow, what an amazing story this is, right? But the Jews had all that stuff. All All the prophecies of Isaiah, all the Messianic Psalms, all the types of the Old Testament, so much light, and, they reject, and as a result of rejecting the light, darkness, right? By the way, it's really important to respond to truth. Isn't it important? I mean, for us, right? The principle always is true. If you reject light, there's a darkness can come in your mind, rejecting light. And so, very solemn. But notice the impact. Verse 12 says, when the deputy uh, saw what was done, he believed. And then it says he was astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Just in wrapping up, just some, some closing kind of thoughts as we we close this first session, because it's a very sobering passage in many ways, but very, very pertinent to the issue of missions. Um, if we're really concerned about the, the Great Commission, then we need to be in a right spiritual condition to hear from God. And prayer and fasting... I believe gets a person in a clear state where they can actually if you 're looking for direction for your life from God spend time in prayer and fast doing without legitimate things right there 's nothing wrong with food you 're doing without legitimate things because you 're burdened about spiritual things right so so you don 't want to be distracted uh, and, and so and, and nowadays maybe it 's not even. Uh, fasting from physical food we ought to be thinking about, maybe a media fast would allow us to hear more from God. Because what is it that stops us from hearing from God now more than anything else? It's these bings that go off every 20 seconds, right? right? Maybe we need to just, uh, as it were, shut ourselves away so we can hear from God without distraction and seek His face and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? in relation to the Great Commission. you have a, you have a part for me to play? What is that part? Maybe he wants you to be a prayer warrior and, and, and really learn to intercede for those on the field. Maybe he wants you to be one who, who supports the Lord's servants. Or maybe he wants you to leave your comfort zone and go somewhere with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we need to get in a position where we can hear from God. It'd be in a right state to hear from God. If you are gonna go, go with your eyes open, recognizing you will meet people who want to hear. But you'll also meet people who will try and stop that. It is a spiritual battle. And never forget, years ago a man said to me, and I've never forgotten it, he said, Mike, he said, No true work of God will ever go unopposed. is that a great principle? No true work of God will ever go unopposed. And you see it in the book of Acts. Everywhere Paul went, there was a riot and a revival. Right? Usually the same event. Right? Is, we can't expect any different. Right? There, there, this, there's hostility. There's opposition. It's a war zone. Uh, One of the chapters in that book, Messiology, says uh, you may not understand this, but it it simply says this: If you you don't want to get hurt, don't play rugby. Okay. Now, rugby is kind of the men's version of American football, (laughs) right? Because they don't have any padding. That's the difference, right? If you don't want to get, don't play rugby. If you don't want to get hurt, don't go to the mission field, right? If you don't want to get hurt, don't be involved in assembly life up to your hilt. Because if you are, you're going to get hurt. And often by the people who you least expect to get hurt by. Right? Sheep can do some nasty things sometimes. Right? And, and it comes with a territory. It's, it's battle scars. We're in a war. And then, are we astonished at the doctrine of the Lord? Because that's a great place to begin, isn't it? Or have we lost the wonder of it all? See, maybe the reason we're not sharing the gospel with others is because it's become a bit stale in our own minds. And we've lost the sense of wonder. I love John, in the first epistle of John, talking about our hands have handled of the word of life. And what it strikes me as I read it is this guy is is an old man now and he's never lost the wonder of it all. That God took on humanity to go to a cross to die for wretches like us. Wow, wonder of wonders. I wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous how wondrous! And my song shall ever be. How wondrous. How marvelous. Is my Savior's love for me? Please never lose the wonder of it all. And maybe if we had more of a sense of wonder, we'd be more avid witnesses. He was astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. So, there's messiology, there's missiology, And there's a great need for people who will listen to the voice of the Spirit, who will go following his leading full of the Holy Spirit and preach the word of God. And it starts from the church, right, at the church that was at Antioch. And they go out from the church, see people saved and gathered into companies of believers that become new churches sometimes in missions it's easy to lose the church in the whole picture but it's really all about that starts there and the ultimate goal is the establishment of other churches around the world and that's what Paul's ministry really was the gospel and the mystery There were the two focuses of his ministry the gospel in the mystery. And he never lost sight of either one of them. And we ought not to. And of course, the mystery, Jew and Gentile in one body, the church. And we never need to lose sight. Keep the main things main, right? These are very important principles. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for the Word of God and the, the clarity of the principles we see in Scripture. What help us to be in a condition, even this weekend, to be able to hear from the Spirit of God. We think of those letters to the seven churches. He that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Oh, Lord, forgive us if we've been deaf to the voice of the Spirit of God, Awaken in us a fresh sensitivity to his leading in our work and service, and we'll give thee the glory in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.